0: join us as we dive into God's Word and, and into the Easter aftermath. Okay, so kind of a thought that I uh, came up with and I was just thinking of, you know, Easter just always comes so fast and then it goes and 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 then w- it's almost like a, a afterthought. And I want to, like, the, like the, <clears throat> the holy men of old used to say, I want to tarry a little <laughs> on the Easter topic. And just consider a couple of real poignant questions. And the first is, what is Jesus doing after Easter in your life? And the second is, is what are you doing after Easter? Um, we're going to look at, at some scriptures today in the Bible, what, what, what was going on after Easter. Um, and last Sunday was just incredible. We had such a such an incredible uh, uh, reminder of the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. Not only did he pay the price that you and I are you know supposed to pay because of our sin he paid that on our behalf but also he took the stone away on our behalf and that's the effort of the that walking in to the victory that he has bought on our behalf and so literally it's just something you and i have to realize has been done for us and we have to stand in that victory until it manifests Sometimes it takes a while. sometimes there is things that you challenges that you experience, but the victory has been established, and you have to walk into it by faith um, but there is a big kind of gap between After Easter, the Easter Resurrection Sunday, and then Pentecost Sunday, it's typically 40 days. And Jesus was on earth uh, in this 40 days doing a couple of things. And I want to look at that. And uh, we're going to divide this sermon uh, up into kind of like a 1.0, 2.0 deal, because I have too much to say for the one sermon. Um, But today, in this this short little two-part sermon, we're going to look at four things that Jesus did. And four things that the disciples was doing in this time in between Pentecost and after Easter. And so today we'll, for part one, we'll jump in and just... uh Uh, Just run through some scripture with me So if you have a Bible If you want to follow on the screen Just get in on on it with me And and page through it And make some notes on it as you want um, Because we're going to be discussing Just various aspects of the various gospels In the book of Acts The renditions and the the, the accounts of after Easter Okay. So in Luke 24 verse 13 Two men, two of Jesus' disciples Were walking to a village called Emmaus It was about seven miles from Jerusalem Jerusalem, and they were talking to each other about about all the events that had happened. And it says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. And the Bible explains that they didn't realize it was Jesus; they were were prevented by by God's power from realizing that it was Jesus that they were being joined. And so He's asking them, you know, what, what are they discussing? And they're they're almost rude to Him. It's like. Dude, are you the only soul in Jerusalem that didn't know what was happening over the weekend? Um, seriously, like just the biggest event in all of history. We thought we had the Savior, the Messiah, and then we didn't. Um, and, and Jesus of Nazareth, and how he was crucified by the Romans, and um, and 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 Jesus starts talking to them about, uh, and he Jesus just you know rebuts. He's like, are, are y'all so? Kind of like, <laughs> I wouldn't say he said it this way, but like, he was like, dudes, are you, are you a little hard of understanding here? Don't you know that this was written all along in the scriptures, that the Christ must, die, must suffer and he must die to fulfill scripture and to fulfill the promise of the Messiah, to, to, that, that he should come and, 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 and suffer and die on behalf of the people and there through by, by that provide a way to salvation. And then, it's, and so it says in, 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 in um, I think it's verse 24, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. But they did not know yet that it was Jesus that was talking with them. So a couple of things that is necessary to just quickly realize because of what we read here. Um, if an angelic being came and joined them, they would have completely realized this was an angel. Everywhere in Scripture where angels appear to people, there was only one response. People fell to the floor, deathly afraid that they were about to die. That was the only response. This was not an angelic being that joined these people. Secondly, if Jesus didn't look remotely normal, if there was anything about Jesus that was kind of like, you know, too shiny, you know, (laughs) or too otherworldly, they would have noticed immediately that this is a weird person. Okay, so the Jewish culture is extremely traditional, conservative. So no, like funky white flowy hair or nothing. You know, it's just this body of this person in the body that, that that drew near to them and joined them should have looked particularly normal. For them to just kind of went along and just continue to walk as if just another disciple had joined them. And so he, pre- he prevents them from recognizing him. And I don't exactly know how, uh, but the fact is that um, he walked all the way to this village. And he was a- about to leave going further. And these guys were like, look, you've got such amazing things to share. Just join us. We want to discuss this further. And so, um, 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 so, so, so he went with them and he sat down with them and he explained to them more of it. And then at the end of the day, when he revealed himself to them, The Bible says, and then he was gone (laughs) and then he disappeared and they were like, oh my goodness. (laughs) Jesus is alive and they experienced it for themselves and the Bible says that very hour they got up and they went back to Jerusalem all the way where they just came from to go and tell the other disciples. An incredible happening, an incredible encounter uh, these Emmaus travelers had with Jesus in Acts 1, verse 3, we hear um, uh, Luke the Apostle uh, uh, write the following. He said, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus spoke about a couple of things in the last 40 days that he was on earth. He spoke about this, the, the scriptures of the prophets concerning himself. He spoke about the end times and how that related to the kingdom of God. He spoke about the Holy Spirit and he spoke about the purpose of the church. And in various forms and ways, those were the four topics he addressed during his 40 days before his ascension. Um, And during this time, he was meeting with them and he was explaining scripture to them. That's all he did. He met with them, and he revealed himself to them, and he explained scripture to them. So he didn't teach new things. He just helped them to understand all the things that he had taught. And so the disciples were progressively getting more and more revelation. Oh, you'll remember when he said that? Well, this is what this means. And so the things that the seeds that he had sown in their hearts and minds for so many years, for three years, were suddenly sprouting and suddenly it brought revelation for them. But not without a lot of confusion and a lot of um, just way confused and mixed emotions. So just imagine for yourself for a second. I mean, you know, here Jesus starts appearing to them. After they had just witnessed him die, all right, we're talking about the aftermath of Easter. This had to have been like, I mean, it wasn't just a normal thing, you know, for people to rise from the dead. Sure, Jesus raised a couple from the dead, um, but they were absolutely noteworthy miracles because they, it's not normal. But Jesus starts meeting with him and giving him these assurances that he is alive. And so news starts spreading. And some believe and others are skeptical. And, and they're having these private conversations among themselves. But you don't see any public things starting to happen just yet. It's mostly among themselves as they're, as they're considering, is this true? Can this even be real? And you know, some haven't heard and, and they're still sad. They're just like these Amos traveler, travelers. They were like... Oh, man, we thought we had it. And now we just have nothing, y'all. And Jesus comes and he tells them, no, you have something. And, and, and their whole lives change in an instant. And they go to the disciples, but the disciples don't believe them. <laughs> Would you have believed them? Come on, honestly. Would you have believed if somebody told you, look, that person that you saw torn to pieces, literally beyond recognition, the Bible says, in a a, a, a place in Isaiah, one of the prophecies, marred to a point where you could not recognize him from the man he was before, what you saw on the cross. And all of a sudden, here a person that has maybe a slightly different appearance, but definitely does not look like somebody who just came off a cross. He's meeting with people and explaining the scriptures about him. It must have been so confusing. It must have been absolutely, <laughs> sometimes just like scary. Here Jesus is telling you, I'm alive and yet you saw him die. You know, many people are superstitious and I can imagine that there were rumors and there were things that people go, oh, man, that's just a conspiracy theory, man. Y'all are, y'all are smoking something. I don't know if they had weed at that time, but surely somebody tried to smoke something because that's just humankind, right? Gotta smoke something. It rocks their world. And so they are immersing themselves in these conversations, these private considerings, studying scripture, reading. Can it be? Is he, in fact, the Messiah? And I start remembering the teachings he taught. And, but it's difficult to reconcile with the reality that they know. We know for a fact that we saw him killed on the cross. You know, I remember a time when I was a student when, um, in college, uh, 18 years old, I, when my eyes first really opened to the gospels. Like, I grew up in Christian tradition and I, I was actually born again when I was 12, when I gave my life to, to the Lord. But it was like, when I, when I when I went to college and I, um, we started seeing suddenly because of the ministry that we were involved in what Scripture was truly saying to us as men and, and and we started realizing the whole point of grace and 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 how to access it and then all of a sudden the scriptures just started opening up to us and i remember we spent literally days just not studying or doing college work but just like we're in everybody's rooms did you read this did you read the bible says this and you know i remember that time we were like we, we we debunked all the things that we had thought you know there was a crow that uh, you know uh, 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 crowed three times after peter denied jesus and then and and and, and we realized all these things that we had learned that was actually wrong um and 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 the bible just went open for us and we were we were considering well can it be true when the bible says whatever you say you know and believe you will have how can this be all the promises of god and and we were like excited and joyful and like and 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 at the same time we were like "Mm, yeah maybe i'm misunderstanding this surely i won't be doing greater works than jesus did really is that what it means as i remember us just like delving into this and just but at the same time being so cautious to not be like you know blaspheming or, or trying to do something that we we shouldn't be doing or wanting something that we shouldn't be wanting but i can't imagine even in our confusion at that time when we started really reading scripture and experiencing and believing the promises of god for the first time truly for ourselves that that matched in any formal way the confusion that the disciples went through after the, death and re- after the death of Jesus. I imagine that some of us here might be confused about this message of the cross. Maybe you have a loved one who is confused about this message of the cross. Why well, y'all claim somebody rose from the dead? Come on now. You know we modern people we don't believe in fairy tales like that anymore. You know what? For us this is not just a fairy tale. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead is actually the linchpin that our Christian faith is based on. You know, in science, there's this, um, this rule that if you, that, that if, you, if you provide a theory of something, you have to also provide ways that your theory can be disproven if you want to be intellectually honest. Okay, so if you can give to somebody, this is my theory, this is something that I propose. But if you can prove X over here, my theory would be debunked. And my theory would just fall to pieces. And you would have to give that to people and people would actually try and prove X to be able to tell whether your theory is in fact uh, true, whether your hypothesis can be, you know, uh, can be proved and can be repeatedly proved so that in time it might actually become an accepted fact or as science calls it, theory. Um, and so, so Christianity is a very intellectually honest faith. It does not just make a claim and leave you without any way to disprove it. Let me read you in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 14 where it says this, And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. So it means that if you can prove that the resurrection did not happen, Jesus' resurrection did not take place, then Christianity is bonkers. All the beauty, all the amazing claims of forgiveness and grace and heaven and, uh, you know, the afterlife and all, all of that rests on this one thing. Jesus was resurrected. And that's also why it's so important that your faith has to be based on a Jesus that died and was resurrected. And if anybody preaches to you a Christ that's different from that that Christ, is a pseudo Christ. It's a copy. It cannot save. Because unless Jesus rose from the dead, none of us will. There has to be a resurrection. Okay? So for us, this is a very important claim. Christians claim that Jesus rose from the dead. But I want you to be confident in this claim. I don't want you to just take this claim as a statement of faith because we have many evidences that point to the fact that this is not just a, you know, thumbsuck idea. Well, you know, we wanted a savior. We had someone. He died. But so we just kind of made up a story that he is resurrected so we can continue with our thing. We want to be intellectually honest. We want to be more founded than that. But if you're like me, you came to believe in Christ on account of the Scriptures, the testimony of Scripture, and the testimony of others who had given their lives to the Lord. You may not have had to figure this out, but there are those who, before they can accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they have to settle this thing. They have to settle in their hearts. And I had to later in life, during a crisis of faith, settle many of these things, even after I put my faith in Jesus, Whether he's in fact real, whether God in fact exists, whether Jesus was a man that died, rose from the dead and can substantiate the claims of his divinity that he made and is therefore able to provide me with the salvation that he claims he's able to do through me submitting myself to this doctrine, to this teaching of Christianity. And so today I want to talk to you, if you're in a place of struggle that, man, I, it's after Easter and, and yet I'm still, geez, this is a resurrection thing, I don't know, I'm not too sure. I want, I want to give you some, some things to think about that will maybe help you to cross over the intellectual blockage that you have to believing in what Jesus provided for us on the cross. Now, the things I mention here, I will refer to Scripture, but they're not proven from Scripture. The things I'm going to mention, five things that historians and scholars have all agreed are minimal facts that are corroborated by history, secular sources and writers, poets and, 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 and political uh, uh, commentator, commentators and, 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 and the likes. These were events um, these were things that happened that was commented on by people that were enemies of the faith, but also just people that were kind of like impartial observers. They didn't have a, a matter whether Christianity succeeded or did not succeed, um, but they were just observing things and they were making comments and they were writing these things down. And, and, and all of these five things can be proven without using scripture. And that's an important thing for you to know if you're intellectually honest you have to consider evidences that point to a specific, to a particular outcome. And I'm asking you to at least consider these evidences as they corroborate the story of Scripture that Jesus was a man that lived really in history. In history, it's proven of his, of his story and his claims. And let's, let's go into them. Historians and, historians and scholars accept these five minimum facts as evidences to the resurrection of Jesus. In other words, if you consider all these things and you realize that they are true, the best explanation of these events that took place must be that Jesus actually did rise from the dead. The first one is, Jesus was a man of history. He actually lived. Jesus was not a, a mythical figure that Somebody made up. Jesus was a man of history. He lived in history um, and he is recorded as be as being crucified by Roman by Roman authority. So Jesus died by crucifixion. And this is not something that the Bible has to prove. This is proven in history. But first Corinthians fifteen says this. And this is Paul writing. And remember who Paul was. Paul was first Saul of Tarsus. He had like a like a dual identity. Sometimes we call my wife Esther, and sometimes we call her Esmery. Her actual name is Esmeri. Sometimes she goes by Esther. You all know her as Esther. Um, but Paul was like that. You know, sometimes he was referred to as Saul, and other times as Paul. But his identity as a Pharisee was known as he Saul of Tarsus, and he was a Pharisee, a, ru- um, a scholar of the law. Uh, jewish law and he persecuted the church but after his conversion to christianity this is what he reported um, to the church in corinth he says to them for i delivered to you as of first importance which were, which what i also received that christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. A very important testimony because he was not a man that was, um, that was pro-Jesus when Jesus was crucified. So Jesus lived and died on earth by Roman crucifixion. It's a fact. So there was a man called Jesus and he did die. The second thing is he was buried and that tomb was found empty two days later. This is a historical fact. It is corroborated and attested to by so many. And people have tried to come up with the most amazing theories of why and how the body of Jesus disappeared. Okay, (laughs) I don't have time to go into all of them. But it is incredible to know one thing about Scripture and how honest Scripture is. That we can trust scripture. See in those times the testimony of women were counted as nothing. Until a testimony was corroborated by a man it would not hold up in any form of court. Or even in social gatherings. Women's opinion were very very lowly regarded. Yet scripture reveals that the first people that saw and reported on the empty tomb was women. It's the Marys. They went and they were thinking to themselves, who will roll open the stone? They got there. The stone was already rolled away. And Jesus' body was found not there. Jesus appeared to them and they went and they, they, they told the disciples, there's no body. Jesus is alive. We saw him. For scripture to, to say that means that these Jewish men who were writing this knew that they were probably subjecting their writing to the harshest of rejection. To the very people that they were trying to reach. Why would they make up a story of women testifying to the resurrection of Jesus. Is that If that was the lowest way. The least likely way <laughs> that they could convince people that Jesus rose from the dead. So understanding that, realizing that scripture reported the facts as they were. Didn't try to cover up something. Didn't try to make up a better story to give it a little bit more oomph. Just reported it as it was. In Luke 24.10, Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman with them who told these things to the prophets. But true to form, verse 11, these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. (laughs) Secondly, these men were trying to to convince others of something, why would they put themselves out as doubters? Why would they admit to how many people doubted? There's just too many things in Scripture that you see that's just so absolutely honest that it causes you to move closer to believing what the account actually states. The tomb was found empty. And even though I use scripture, this is corroborated by historians as a testimony of the early disciples and uh, widely reported and captured um, outside even biblical sources. The third evidence that points to the fact that Jesus really did rise from the dead is the, is the claims of all the eyewitnesses. Listen to what First Corinthians 15 says. He appeared to Cephas, or it was uh, um, 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 Peter, and then to the twelve, Uh, The rest of the the, the apostles. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. All of whom, most of whom are still alive and some have fallen asleep. So think about this. If Paul was making up a story, wouldn't he have said like, you know, the people that saw him, sorry, they're all dead now. (laughs) They can't debunk what I'm saying. Yet he's saying, look, there are 500 people, most of them still alive. Go ask. How do you tell a story and keep the facts straight among 500 people? <laughs> you can't. <laughs> it's, just, it's humanly impossible to control what people say. The eyewitnesses. Let's, look, let's think of them. The eyewitnesses. Of all the people in history that have testified to Their faith into the reality of Jesus being alive and being alive in them and having changed their lives. From those very early disciples all through the centuries, never once in 2000 plus years has it ever been recorded that anybody confessed to the fact that this was in fact just a made up story. It has never been confessed. Has some fallen under the pressure and weakness in their faith and recanted their faith? Yes, that has happened. But has anybody under pressure ever admitted that this was a hoax? You can't find it. It's nowhere written. in. And and, and think about this. You only had to have one true follower that at one point in time went and said, you know what, this was just a bad idea. We should have never done this. We thought it was a joke and we would run with something and now it becomes so big we can't stop it. You just needed one. But you have never, ever, ever anywhere founded a critic or anybody claimed that they had turned somebody that that claimed to be be of Christ to say and to admit that this was a hoax. The claims of the eyewitnesses, let's look at the type of circumstances they had to endure. They were... (laughs) So let's, let's, let's consider a lie. If you tell a lie, to whose benefit is the lie? Usually to yourself, right? Lies are for self-protection. Lies are for self-benefit. So if these boys were lying about Jesus, there should have been some benefit to theirs, right? So let's look at that list of benefits. Yeah, Some of them were decapitated. That's a nice perk, you know, for lying about the resurrection. Some of them were disemboweled, cut open and letting their entrails fall out. Some of them were burnt at the stake. Some of them were crucified. Some of them were boiled in oil. That's a nice perk to have for lying about Jesus and his resurrection. No, what you find is every single one of these eyewitnesses would endure the most horrendous of treatment and stick to their claim that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Was (laughs) was <laughs> crucified, died, was buried, and was risen. And is alive and well today as a savior of the world. The claims of the eyewitnesses and the people that they were. The, let's look at the character of the eyewitnesses. Did I put a quote up there for the character of the eyewitnesses? Just go on one, one, one verse further, or one slide further. Lies of Perks, the character. Okay, go for it. Go for the next one. Go for the next one. I want to read that one to you This one. Oh no, it's not that one. Okay, never mind. Don't worry. Go back. Go back one more. Go back. Go back one. <laughs> but let's look at these these eyewitnesses, um, the character that they showed right before Easter. They were fear-filled, shame-filled group of men who knew that they had let their master down, they had betrayed him, they had abandoned his side, and they were in hiding, the Bible says. And somehow after Easter, shortly, something started changing in them. They started realizing something, and not even... Two months later, these boys emerges as these world-changing mission society that just hasn't stopped since. And you have to ask yourself, how can a group of people that had just abandoned the the leader of their movement, been so convinced that they were going to be next, been in hiding, what changed? What changed? That all of a sudden they were just emboldened, and they were just willing to die for their cause. You have to realize that it's probably because they experienced something real. It's probably because something so internally transformative happened to them that they didn't give a hoot whether they were going to be killed for it. So if you look at the testimony of the eyewitnesses a little deeper, you realize that there is much more evidence to the fact that the resurrection It's a true event. The last thing is uh, the the fourth story. The fourth thing is the time it took for the resurrection to be preached. If you look at the time and place where they started preaching the resurrection, you'd think they're mad. For people who would want to come up with a story would be better off taking their story to some unknown place where there is nobody that had experienced the events, where there was nobody that could contradict them, where there was nobody that could say, hey, I was there, y'all are talking baloney. And, and then come up with all their story and started devising their little tale and, and refer to a place where those people weren't at. They didn't know how things worked there. They would have been better off spinning that story in a different place. Yet you see these guys in the very place where a couple of days earlier, maybe weeks, Jesus was resurrected, starting to spread a news that he was alive. You had to have known that because of the environment that they were in, because this leader who claimed to be a divine Person and for that reason was resurrected them now coming and corroborating his story claiming that he is divine, he's the son of God and he's alive and risen after he was killed would have resulted in nothing less than that. And everybody knew it, what had happened. And so there was nothing they could cover up except just speak of what they experienced and what they saw. And the more they started speaking about it, the more it was corroborated by those around them. It happened to me too. He appeared to us also. He told us this. Man, he appeared even to Simon. The Bible makes a point of him appearing to Simon. Because we know Simon, right? Peter, I won't deny you. And then the crow, the, not the crow, the rooster crowed once, y'all. <laughs> After he denied him three times. He appeared to Simon. Everybody thought he wouldn't appear to Simon. Surely he wouldn't appear to Simon. Yet he did. The fifth thing that points to the fact that Jesus was really resurrected is the fact that some of his enemies became believers. Saul of Tarshish was a Pharisee that persecuted the Christian church. For the first couple of minutes there, he was out to get them. He wrote letters to different places and different temple Uh, People uh, authorities to help him apprehend the people of the way. We just had a series about the people of the way. They were different. They could be recognized. And Paul wrote how, um, or or some of the people would write to him and say, hey, those people that turned the world upside down, they're now in our, our town too. We need help. You come and arrest them. And on the road to one of his assignments, Paul claimed Jesus appeared to him. To such dramatic effect that he had an immediate faith conversion. He immediately believed that Jesus was the resurrected Christ. And Jesus called him into his ministry. In 1 Corinthians 15. You see the humility of somebody who's not trying to to boast about this fact. In fact, Paul's writings, he's he's actually ashamed of all the, the stupid things he did. In killing Christians. In 1 Corinthians 15 he says. Last of all. As to one untimely born. He appeared also to me. He appeared also to me. The resurrection is something. That was so. Real. That it became the centerpiece. Of the Christian church's theology. Theology. Right now in the modern church, our kind of like central theme is, you know, grace and, you know, the love of God. And, you know, maybe if you're, um, if you want to, you know, speak about God's love and God's justice and, you know, mercy and grace. and Those are like the central themes of, of, of current Christianity. These boys didn't preach on those things until way later. They started talking about the fact that Jesus was alive. That's what corroborated all of his claims. And when they made a claim about him that he was the Son of God, that he was God, the fact that he was resurrected would corroborate that story. When they would when they would proclaim how he could save and forgive sin, the fact that he was resurrected could corroborate that story. The resurrection was everything to them. And the resurrection was the theme around which the early church rallied and just and just became big. Now think about this: How do you overthrow a, a Rome, the Roman Empire with a myth, a mythical story? The fact that the church grew in such influence is another point that we can talk about at a later time. But let's go back to let's go back to the moments just right after Easter. Because that's, that's where we're at. We're, we're right after Easter now. The question here is, is, what is Jesus doing in your life? And what are you doing after Easter? The first thing we see is we, we see the disciples. They're, they're waiting and they're wondering. They're wondering what's going on. They're asking a ton of questions. There's, there is just bewilderment and confusion. And there's this like, man, can we be happy but, but, but is, it, is it safe to be happy? Can, can we rejoice? Can we cry victory? Or, or do we just like, you know, is it too soon? Uh, waiting for proof, waiting for, I don't know about you, but sometimes we find ourselves in these moments where we're like, you say the victory is won, Pastor Jay, but <laughs> to be honest with you, I'm right in the middle of the battle still. It doesn't feel like it's won for me. There's a lot of confusion about what you're saying. I want to say, yay, victory is it's there, but oh, I'm, a little, I'm a little uncertain Yeah, can, can, can I claim victory yet? Is it truly done? Tetelestai, not tater tots. Tetelestai, it is done. Is it truly done? Can I claim that victory and start standing and expecting that it will come through for me? Can I? We often find ourselves in these places of waiting, waiting for promises to come through, waiting for prayers to be answered. And if you're in that moment, you're in no bad company <laughs> because the disciples were there and they saw Jesus resurrected and still had such difficulty just settling in their hearts that this is true. John twenty nineteen says this, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and he said to them, Peace be with you. So just live that moment. All right? we're, we're literally believing that we're next. Everybody knew that we were Jesus' disciples. We were very public about that because we were proud of this revolutionary movement, y'all, that was about to overthrow the Roman government, right? Because that's what they thought. They they thought Jesus was going to get rid of the Romans and restore the kingdom back to them as as, as Jews. They were going to be able to govern themselves again. Remember, these guys weren't saints, okay? They were just humans. They, They interpreted everything as humans. They interpreted as normal people. They had what they had as their context and they thought to themselves, well, if somebody's going to come save us, surely it'll be from these oaks, you know, with with the funky dresses. They wouldn't have known about the cosmic battle of good and evil, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, because that wasn't their reality. They just saw the Romans. They were the oppressor. They need to go. And the weird thing is that Jesus almost spends no time on the oppressor. But he does inside of them such an internal work that makes them stand up so powerfully under that oppressor that eventually throws over the very thing that oppressed them. What needs to happen in your and my heart here today? What is Jesus wanting to do for you after Easter that makes you stand up under whatever is pushing you down? But Jesus understood this confusion and he wasn't at all a, he wasn't at all looking down on that. He was completely in tune with their reality. And so when he appears to them, he says to them, peace. Peace to you. Let the peace of God just rest on you right now. But I, I hear what y'all are saying. I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm in the middle of the war of my life, and you want me to receive the peace, the peace now. There's no time for peace now! I'm fighting! Jesus wants you to know that there is now peace because when his kingdom comes and takes governance of your situation, it brings peace and it brings joy but then it brings his order. So so in this moment, jesus it's just incredible. They're seeing a resurrected person, y'all. They just saw him dead. Now he's standing here, and guess what he's asking for them? Y'all have some fish? I'm kind of hungry here. (laughs) And I I can just imagine they're like, get some fish. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. (laughs) I'll get some fish. It had to have been an incredibly mind-blowing moment. And while they're all just stunned in silence, Jesus starts eating the fish. Ghosts don't eat fish, (laughs) y'all. Jesus ate physical food in front of them, digested it, and it wasn't on the floor when he was done. And then he said to them, These are the words that I spoke to you while I was with you. Everything that's written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I wish that God would open our minds here to understand the scriptures. To see the great promise that it holds for each and every one of us. The amazing peace that it could bring you in your moment of waiting and confusion. Another translation says it this way. The disciples were ecstatic yet dumbfounded. Unable to fully comprehend it. And knowing that they were still wondering if he was real, Jesus said, here let me show you. Give me something to eat. They handed to him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and they watched him eat it. I'm sure there was some nervous laughter. (laughs) You know, I'm sure there were some tears of disbelief. Can I trust this? I need this so much, but can I trust this? That might be where you find yourself here today as well. As the disciples were coming to grips with these two conflicting realities. They had just witnessed the most horrifying execution of their leader. And boom, here he's standing right in front of them asking for food. And breaking open the scriptures. I understand. It's understandably unbelievable what they experienced. and You might be in a place now where its I understand how unbelievable this thing might sound for you. The beauty of it is that Jesus didn't do this once. He kept meeting and he kept on explaining. Um, For 40 days, you see him meet with different people, different places. He meet with the disciples. Thomas wasn't there. Why? Because he wasn't listening, y'all. He should have been there, but he was out doing something. Guess what Jesus does? He waits for Thomas to be with them and he appears to them again. And then he comes to Thomas and says to him, here I am, Thomas. Come, let me prove to you. Put your fingers in the place where I was pierced. I need you to believe me. Jesus was patient. He was persistent. Let me tell you, Jesus is patient and persistent with you too. He wants you to believe he wants to reach your heart he wants you to, to uh, overcome the obstacles to your faith because if you don't you'll be left in waiting and wandering land they asked him many questions again just where they were at jesus Are you going to now restore the kingdom to us? Acts 1 6. So (laughs) it's like, I can imagine Jesus like, yo, seriously, are you still on that little thing? (laughs) Haven't we spoken about that before? But it's like it was so important to them. What is so important to you that you have to ask Jesus about it again? It's okay, just come and ask. Jesus' response was very Matter of fact, I know that's important to you, but that's not for you to know the things that my father decided. And then he would draw their attention to the things that he, they needed to, 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 to focus on. And next week, we're going we're gonna to look into more of that. But for them, this was the biggest vision. This was the most important thing. Can we get the Romans off our backs? But Jesus' vision was so much grander than that. Jesus' vision wasn't just for their physical lives on earth to be completely transformed and set on a new course. Jesus wanted to set them up for eternity. Can you believe that Jesus wants to set you up for eternity? And just for a minute, just for a minute, Whatever that most important thing for you is right now, just, just put it on the table just for a minute and accept the fact that Jesus is looking at a much grander vision when he perceives your life, when he, when, he, when he considers your life. There is so much more that God wants for you, that he wants you to be involved in, that he wants you to participate in. Listen to me, nothing on earth can stop you from participating in that. Like he says, neither death nor life nor angels, demons, sickness, health, nothing nothing can separate you from His love. I'm saying nothing can separate you from participating in the vision that He has for your life. No physical infirmity, no economical infirmity, nothing can hold you back from participating in Jesus' vision for your life. But until you put down your vision, His vision won't come alive. Are you wondering what he's up to in your life? Lord, how long is this going to last? I don't know how long it's going to last. I really don't. I don't know how long you're going to be in the struggle, how long you're going to be in the fight. But what I do know, it's already won. And he's going to guide you and lead you past it. And he's gonna, if you will allow him, he will use you powerfully in it. Later on, you see Peter and some of the disciples, they go like, oh, enough of this hiding. You know, we're, 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 we're getting out of this. We're going to go back fishing. All right? So they thought uh, uh, Peter was the only guy that was married among the, among the lots. Of, uh, I bet he was like, well, you know, Judas stole the money. Jesus, you know, the golden goose is gone. Uh, I better get some money. I'll have a family to feed. And so back he goes to fishing. And he drags a whole bunch of the disciples with him. And they get busy with every other thing except that was Jesus, what Jesus called them for. Knowing that Jesus was alive, already having established the fact that He is their Savior, they still go off and do other things. They couldn't make the connection because Jesus is alive. The mission is a go again. So they just went on their own mission. They got busy with other things. Does this relate to you? You got saved, confessed your faith in Christ, and, but you've, you've never really stepped into God's purpose for your life and you started getting busy with every other thing. Could have been that you got saved, and, but you, know, you just went back to your old sinful ways. But it doesn't even have to be sin. It can just purely be not what God intended for you to step into. And it's already a different vision for your life than He has. How many of us have gotten busy with other things? Thank you for saving me, Jesus. I believe you're resurrected. But then fail fail to realize that there's a mission that I'm supposed to be involved in. Even to those of us who have believed, yet are still only living life for ourselves and our families, but not for God's mission. Jesus is patiently reaching out to you today. will not you get involved in our mission? Listen to John 21. Simon said, I'm on fishing. We'll go with you. They went out, got into the boat. That night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. And they didn't know it was Jesus. He said to them, children, have you any fish? And they said, no. (laughs) And then he said those famous words. Cast the net on the other side. I bet they gave him a double glance. I bet they gave him a double glance. They were like, this sounded vaguely familiar. Like, Remember, this is now probably three years ago, right? That this happened. And it's almost like muscle memory kicked in because they just were like, okay, what am I doing? Throwing it on the other side. All the while, just wait, something's happening. The Bible says, and now they weren't able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. You know what blesses me? They were busy with every other thing that Jesus did not call them to do. Guess what Jesus does? He helps them be successful. Get this, y'all. Success does not mean you're in the will of God. It just means that you're in His love. God will help you because He loves you. Not because you're doing what He has called you to do exactly, but when you step into what He has called you to do. Let me tell you this. There's nothing better than to experience the pleasure of the Father on your life. I just love how Jesus is just so nice to them. You can't say it any other way. He's just so nice to them. Jesus knows when we're going through stuff, guys. He's not a dictator that is going to come down with a ton of bricks on you for, for not being where he wants you to be. But guess what he's still doing? He's still meeting and he's still explaining and he's still inviting. The question is purely when are you going to say yes to him? Jesus said, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? because they knew it was Him. Some of you here, that you just know that God's speaking to you. Jesus came, took bread, and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was the third time Jesus revealed to the disciples. He revealed Himself to the disciples after He was raised from the dead. I love Jesus' persistence. He'll come again. He'll come again. But why wait another round, y'all? I want to invite you on Christ's behalf to join His mission today. Verse 15 says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, John, do you love me more than these? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. In fact, just close your eyes because I want you to hear the Lord ask you this question. Do you love me? And he said to him, feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. This was Peter's purpose. What is God calling you into? That you're running from. Those of you who haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I wanna I wanna just say to you, continue waiting and wandering on him. You know what he is, he's not impatient with your waiting. And he is, um, and he's not irritated by your questions. He loves questions. If at least he can engage with you, so keep on waiting, keep on wandering. bring your questions. I want to tell everyone here: this church is not afraid of your questions. If you heard something that you don't understand, come and ask that we can talk through it. I will show you what I know. I will show you to resources where you can find out what others know. So that you can make an informed decision on yourself. There will be no judgment conversation. But keep waiting on him. Keep wondering. Keep letting him meet you and explain to you until that day where your eyes will be opened and you will be able to understand who he is and see for yourself that he is resurrected, he is alive, and he is wanting to be your savior as well. And for those of you who are kind of successful right now and feel like, man, I don't really need Jesus' help right now, I really pray that you will keep on waiting And allowing Jesus to meet with you and show you the grander vision. Your current success is nothing compared to what He wants to achieve through you. But you don't get to see that until you say yes. (laughs) You don't get to get involved in that until you actually just joins in with His mission. But for all of you, After Easter, Jesus is visiting with each and every one of us. Today's one of those visits where He, through His Word, is visiting you. And the invitation stands. I pray you say yes. Let's all stand and pray. Lord, we want to say we're, we're thankful we serve a God that can raise the dead. That have risen from the dead himself. Because no other faith provides any hope, any true hope for what comes after. Lord, your promise is substantiated by your own actions. Thank God you are a God that is greater than life. That is bigger than life that is grander than what our understanding can make uh, sense of. I wouldn't want to serve a God that that, that, that is just understandable, that I can just grasp and, and, and figure out because if I have such a God, what about the things that I? I don't understand and haven't figured out. Who, how can a God that is so simple help me with the, the complex things that I wonder about? Thank you that you are a God that knows everything. And when I don't know, I know you know and I can entrust that to you and ask you to guide me to where I don't know that I need to go. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and rising from the dead. We declare your resurrection. We believe you rose from the dead, proving that you are the Son of God and that you can offer salvation to all who would believe in what you did. That's you today and for the very first time in your life today have come to realize that Jesus is the true path to salvation and you want to put your faith, make a decision today to make Jesus the Lord and the Savior of your life And, and take a decision, a step today to trust in nothing and nobody else other than Him and His work for your salvation. I want you to put up your hand right now and say, that's me. Thank you, I see that hand. You've never made this decision before, but today you are putting your faith in Jesus for your salvation. Put up your hand right now, and we'll pray with you. Celebrate this moment. For the sake of our friend in the back, let's all pray a prayer of faith and dedication of our hearts to Jesus. Will you all join me out loud as you and I pray? Let's say, Father God, thank you for sending Jesus who is your son and who is also God, to become a man and die a death on my behalf that was due to my account because of my sin. Thank you that you paid the price for me, Jesus. I believe that you died. I believe that you rose. I believe you're the son of God. And I believe that today you have... uh, um, made me become born again so that I might be a son of God too. If you prayed that prayer with sincerity and faith in your heart, the Bible says an incredible work takes place in your heart that forever settles the question who you belong to. You now belong to Him. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. Father, we thank you for the assurance that we get from your scripture. That we can be saved through the knowledge of Jesus Christ in our hearts. We thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.